if I had more of like a solutions oriented mindset where if I didn't get it, I asked myself, well, there's clearly a reason I didn't get this. So what is that reason? How can I overcome it? And how can I be better so I can do it again or I can get it the next time? And what that allowed me to do was to start attacking situations in my life that were maybe negative in a way that it was more of like a personal deficit. So there's clearly something I'm lacking, I'm missing, not in a bad way, in a here's an opportunity to grow, here's an opportunity to learn, here's an opportunity to be better. There was something that I was missing. Let's go fill that gap. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Million Dollar Podcast, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today, we are chatting with a very good friend of mine with an amazing story. Her name is Jacqueline Samara. She is the founder and CEO of Howdy.com. They were bootstrapped, got into YC as well, and now are worth over $100 million changing up the recruiting space. Jacqueline's story was better than I even expected. She used to work at Hair Club for Men. Y'all know I'm bald. She used to work there, and she even goes through some of the experiences at that company. Then she had some other different problems in her business, used that to create businesses while also a mom. So much respect for Jacqueline. She's so impressive as an entrepreneur, and I am so excited for her to share her story of how she got her business started and her success. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things. Number one, sales technique. If you've ever wanted to get better at sales, Jacqueline will share how they did it at Hair Club for Men. Two, how Jacqueline solves problems. There's a certain mindset she uses, and I love it. And three, if you're a mom and you're a wife and you're an entrepreneur, how does she do it all? We talk about efficiency and getting shit done. You're going to enjoy those three ear nuggets plus a bunch more along the way. You can check out Jacqueline's company, Howdy.com. They do recruiting for developers, customer support designers. We are actually testing them out at AppSumo. If you enjoyed this and you want to hear more behind the scenes of starting a business, Million Dollar Week in the Book, go check out our episode with Mackenzie. She started a greeting cards business and I believe is going to be on track to do at least six figures this year. That is episode 336 in the feed. If you have not heard of this book, there's a book called Million Dollar Weekend. <laughs> I wrote the book. And if you have not checked it out yet, it was an instant New York Times bestseller. I love you guys for going and supporting it, buying it for your friends, buying it for your parents, anyone who ever wants to get started on entrepreneurship or building self-confidence. Again, it's milliondollarweekend.com. Go grab your copy today. Quick sponsor plug. And I am so excited about the sponsor. And y'all know I have almost zero sponsors because most of the companies that sponsor suck and I can't really endorse them fully. Today's company, I fully do. It is gusto.com. You can check them out at gusto.com slash Noah. Let them know you came from us. This is so cool that they were excited to get into your earlobes. Now, at absuma.com, we use, I think, Insperity or some other crappy thing. And I pray to all the Jesus, Jewish, Buddha, Muslim, all the gods that one day we can be on gusto.com. And you can use gusto.com slash Noah. Now, for our smaller team, this is definitely something we're considering for the YouTube team. If you're a one-person or two-person team, if you have HR headaches or you haven't even thought about it, gusto.com slash Noah is probably a thing to go do today. Get it over with. And then you can actually be like, holy shit, that was awesome. Because this is such a nightmare. Trying to get 1099. So if you have contractors, if you get a full-time employee, and good for you, by the way, grant your own company. I'm proud of you. You've been listening to the show and taking action. Doing payroll. It's unbelievable how it's like, dude, how does this help me grow my business? I don't want to be dealing with this. I want to be helping customers and kicking ass and drinking lattes or orange mocha frappuccinos. So by getting all this stuff set up with gusto.com, you don't have to worry about any of that crap. It is such a headache. We literally at AppSumo have two full-time people because we're not using gusto.com. Why the hell are we not using this shit right away? I'm going to have to talk to the team. But if you're just getting started, you want to maybe do 401k, health insurance, a lot of other stuff. If you're hiring people internationally, it's a pain in the tuchus. Go use gusto.com slash Noah. Shout out to them for hooking us up. 
Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Shirley Henderson. She says, Noah offers the best, easy to understand content for people who want to have applicable information on how to start a business and life improvement strategies. Thank you, Shirley Henderson. And every other one of you gorgeous listeners that's out there, I appreciate you so, so much. If you're listening to this on iTunes, I think I'm at 870 reviews. I'm trying to get to 1,000 this year. That'd be super, super cool. Just go on iTunes. You leave a review. I don't know how you click some buttons. Click, 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 leave a review, and I'll shout you out in a future episode. All right. So for the people who don't know you on the audience, and let's just assume there's no one because everyone knows who you are. <laughs> they don't know who Jen no. I was like, how do you describe yourself and what's going on in your world today? So my name is Jacqueline Samira. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Howdy.com. I would say that my claim to fame is on our latest fundraising round. Our company was valued at over $100 million, (laughs) (laughs) which is for millionaires in this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it was pretty impressive because this happened in August of 2022 when there was a huge fundraising freeze. And unless you were an AI company or doing something super sexy, it was really, really hard to raise capital. And uh, we're not a AI company, nor are we doing anything necessarily super sexy. Our company, Howdy.com, helps companies in the U.S. expand their team in Latin America. So it's a great business, but... Yes, it is. And we'll talk about that. And you have two kids. And I have two kids. And you kids. have four stepkids. And I have four stepkids. And a wild husband is one of my best friends. So that's okay. A wild husband. <laughs> and we have a, we have a ranch and we have seven longhorns. Do you know this? I don't know seven. I know you had a ranch. We got two. We had two last year, and now all of a sudden it's seven. Oh, they're making love. Like, yeah, they're making the two. Ever see it? I've seen dogs do that stuff, and honestly, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's, it's it's very gross. It's surprisingly very quick. But you're not supposed to keep bulls. I didn't know this. I'm I'm learning. I'm didn't know anything about farms either. But now I'm a rancher. I'm officially a cowgirl, which is appropriate because my company is called Howdy. It has to work out. No, you you don't keep bulls on your property because they're constantly trying to mate. And if they don't have enough, if they don't have enough cows to impregnate, they go crazy and they start to get really aggressive. And so we rented a bull and all of the longhorns that we have on our property are all females. Oh, you rent like a husband. You rent a husband. I think most females would appreciate that. You know, have these guys around all the time. No, 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 no. (laughs) Just come do what you need to do. and We'll take care of the rest. But the longhorns are amazing. They do everything themselves. They give birth themselves. They take care of the babies themselves. They they wean them. Longhorns are always women. I mean, well, no, I mean, there's longhorn, male longhorns. And someone listening that knows more about this than me, there's probably a name for it. Yeah, I'm sure there there is. And we'll we'll talk about ranching. So speaking of that, though, one of the things I'm really fascinated about is how women are so much better than men. (laughs) (laughs) Like, look at these stupid men bulls, like male bulls. Like, if I can't have sex with one woman, I'm gonna go crazy. (laughs) Right. Women are like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And so I, I think just in your in your general story, I think it's so impressive what you've done, not for regardless gender. So I want to just kind of explore to start with like the dynamic of if you notice being a female as an advantage or disadvantage. And the reason I ask is when I've seen what you've done is impressive regardless of any gender, race, sex, etc. But secondly, Absimo, shout out to all my men. I love you guys there. But we have some women in our leadership roles. I'm like, I know that sometimes people say women don't rise as high right. sometimes in businesses. I'm like, when we have around like Anna, Alona, Vanessa, I'm like, these people Kellen, are phenomenal. And I, I'm like, how do we raise more of that uh, in these different companies? So I'm curious your journey and experiences, if you've noticed any hardships or challenges around that. It's a kind of broader question, but I was curious for your thoughts with that. I think that it is a superpower. I think that women have inherently had the cards stacked against them. And so if you think about your whole life, 
going from elementary school, high school, college, jobs, whatever, you always miss opportunities. Or maybe you don't necessarily get the first offer. It's just a little bit harder because there are stereotypes. And what that does is it does one of two things. Either you can rise to the occasion and you can think, hey, I don't care. I don't care that they're not giving me this job or they're not giving me this opportunity. I still want that opportunity. So how the heck am I going to get it? You can learn more. You can get more tools. You can gain more skills. And so looking back, reflecting on my journey for what I am and how I am today, I feel like I'm a much more empathetic leader. I listen more. I have a holistic view of things because I had, I don't want to say harder. I don't want to generalize, but it felt very hard. I felt like, you know, I graduated from university on the dean's honor roll with a degree in economics. I applied to over 100 banks. I didn't even get interviews. I mean, granted, I graduated in 2008, so it was a little bit hard. But at the time, it took me 19 months to get my first job. And then when I got my first job, I mean, you bet I was the first one there, the last one there. I was studying all the materials that they had. I was taking all the courses that they had because I was just so grateful for the job because it was so hard to get it. And when you look at maybe the other side of the fence and if things come a little bit easier or if it's not as hard or if they don't have to put as much work in, you're losing valuable skills early on when you have the energy to learn them. What is your mentality and what are you telling yourself in these moments of, I didn't get a job for 19 months, I'm trying to fundraise in the hardest time literally ever, and you're doing something in a, I wouldn't say male-dominating as entrepreneurship, I think it's very accessible, but what are, what are you generally telling yourself when it's been challenging? So in the past, I had more of a victim mentality, and I definitely did a lot of soul-searching and learned that that doesn't get me anywhere other than more upset, more sad, more angry. And what I realized was if I had more of like a solutions-oriented mindset where if I didn't get it, I asked myself, well, there's clearly a reason I didn't get this. So what is that reason? How can I overcome it? And how can I be better so I can do it again or I can get it the next time? And what that allowed me to do was to start attacking situations in my life that were maybe negative in a way that it was more of like a personal deficit. So there's clearly something I'm lacking, I'm missing, not in a bad way in a, here's an opportunity to grow, here's an opportunity to learn, here's an opportunity to be better. There was something that I was missing. Let's go fill that gap. And granted, it's like allowed me to be a jack of all trades because there was so many things that I thought, oh, I need to do this or I need to do that or I need to be better here. It's more that mindset of it's not them, it's me in a good way. Like, what can I do to be better? And still to this day, I have that. And so with the fundraising round, I'm like, oh, it's like I don't necessarily see things as good or bad. I see them as it just is. And so if it just is, and you need to create a solution to whatever is that thing, then what is the solution, regardless of the perception of what that thing could be? Yeah. I like being a victim. I like complaining a lot. It's in, <laughs> it's in the Jewish culture. Now. I like, know. We just, we love to complain. Like, you know, that, that whole phrase, no complaints, like it's not, I've never heard a Jewish person say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, but I mean, if you think back though. That's so powerful, yeah. Even if you think of the Jewish people and all of the things we've had to overcome over and over and over, we complain, but we still overcome it. We still <laughs> we complain all the time for overcome. <laughs> and look, every, a lot of cultures, so many different cultures have gone through hardships. And so I'm, I'm teasing about that. I am curious. So you were a banker? I wanted to go into banking. I, didn't get that job. I never got the job. Oh, were you sending crappy resumes? It's possible. It's possible. You know, here's the thing. I grew up, I had, my mom was an immigrant and my dad was um he came from a working class family, very blue collar. He was a professor. Education was very important to them. 
But it's not like they had a network. It's not like they were business people. He worked at the university and she worked as a computer engineer for the city of Fresno. So what job did you actually get? Well, my first official job was I was a salesperson for Hair Club for Men. Oh, does we met Jason? No, 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 no. So for people listening, Jason works with her husband. Yeah. And so I've come because he came from Hair Club for Men, didn't he? Landon. Landon. Yes, that is how I met Landon. I think I'm sick and tired of all these people online sharing business advice that don't have a business. Yeah. Because there's people like you, I think it's a disservice to someone like yourself who's grinded in legit jobs and then started from scratch a company that has legit customers. You're not selling a course. You're not selling me a book. And you're getting successful. And I would say, in my opinion, you just find your own success by doing a business. And that's what I want more stories of success, whether whatever gender that is. And I think that's so cool. I'm excited to have you on the show about that. Now, with Hair Club for Men, there's companies like Hair Club for Men, Cutco, encyclopedias that their sales processes are so impressive. Yes. And so that is why I was hoping you could share that. So that yeah, I, I will. Absolutely. Everything I learned at Hair Club, I still apply to this day. That's why I know I could still sell you if I wanted to. Let's let's give it a go. So the thing is, the whole key to their sales and just sales in general is it's an approach of really it's consultative selling. That's all it is. You ask deep questions and there is. <laughs> so you start off with rapport. That's the first step. I'll give you guys all the steps. All right. You ready for this? You start off with rapport. There's instant rapport. And then there's rapport you build over a couple minutes. Then you set the agenda because you need to show you're in control of what's going on. Then you do discovery. Discovery is where you sit. You're in there for about 30 minutes. And usually the way I like to design it is this idea of past, present, and future. Where were you before when you had hair? What was that like? So you get through the whole thing. Then you go into presentation. So you, the presentation of the solution, close, follow up, next steps. And that's it. But in the discovery is where you find all the variables that you're trying to solve for. Once you find all the variables that you're trying to solve for, then that's when you're ready to present. And so what you need to know about your business is what are the most common objections? What are the things that they're going to you know, have problems with? Or what are the things that they're going to ask you about? Or what are the reasons they can tell you no? And so what were some of the key ones with hair? Oh, gosh, now you're taking me back. So this is 2009 to 2000. 15, I was there. Oh, you sold hair for six years? No. So I sold hair for two years and then I got quickly promoted to be their national sales trainer. And then I was promoted to be their regional sales director. And that's when I was working for Landon. And that's what brought me to Austin. Wow. And some of the sales discovery, because it sounds like that's one of the key parts. Like literally a million dollar, we can have a very abbreviated version called listen option transition, which is kind of a similar thing. Listen for the problems, give them the options that could happen and transition to a close. So, I mean, the agenda, gosh, I'm going to try and like jog my memory of what I would say. It would be something like, hey, Noah, you know, so great to meet you. I'm excited. We're going to we're going to spend a little bit of time. I just really want to get to know you, ask you some questions, a little bit about your past, what's going on now, your hopes for the future. And then I'm going to share what we can do here and see if we're a good solution or not. Does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Look at that. I could still do it, guys. You still got. Well, let's (laughs) let's do that same stuff with what Howdy.com. So now and we'll come back on your, your journey. But with Howdy. You sell uh, Latin American customer support design programming for uh, Latin American to American companies so you can get a much more affordable rate. We're exploring it at Sumo. Walk me through that sales pitch. Because again, I think for a lot of people out there, asking is really important. Selling is super underutilized and under practice, I'd say, for many people. It also has to understand, like, you have to understand who your customer is, what they're buying, what's important to them. Because we really have two buyers. The first buyer is someone that's looking for a senior level developer. And usually it's because they can't find them here or they can't hire them fast enough or they need a certain skill set that's going to cost them a half a million dollars and they don't have the budget of a half million dollars. And so that's one buyer. And then the other buyer is I'm looking to expand my team. I'm resource constrained. I need something that's more cost effective or cost efficient. And so usually we'll know going into it which one it's going to be. But from there, 
I would do something very similar where I would just say like, hey, Noah, so great to meet you. Great to see you again. again. So I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions about your company, the way you build your teams, what you've done in the past that's worked, what doesn't work, what you're doing now, what you're hoping to do in the future. Other people maybe that you're considering, what solutions out there that you're looking for, your research, and then let you know a bit about Howdy and see if we're going to be a good fit or not. And so what are some of the key signature questions you've noticed that you're like, this literally alley-oops the problem that you can then solution it to then close for the sale? So usually when I'm asking about what other things they've tried, it's hard because it is so custom. But if they've tried something where they've worked with the team overseas or if they've looked for a person online and it's gone miserably, that's usually an alley-oop for us because we have solved for all of that. So usually like if you go and you find someone online, there's so many scams out there. And there's so many people that are pretending to be other people and then they farm it out to some like lower level person and they have all these excuses of why they can't turn on their camera or why their voice sounds different or why they can't talk. I mean, I've heard it all. That's definitely one particular in where I'm just like, oh, this is going to be a total layup. Another one is usually when they're trying to just expand their team and they want a physical representation of what they're doing here in Austin or here in San Francisco, they want to be able to do it in, let's just say, Argentina or they want to be able to do it in Colombia. And right now, the only options out there besides us is going with an outsourced development shop, and it's not their team. I like what you're saying, taking a step back. Is it a problem that people actually have? Who is the person that has that problem? And how do we discover to see if it's actually a problem? Because one of the things that you did, it's a real subtlety, and I got to highlight it for the listeners. You don't make a hard close. You you lay out the menu, and you say, hey, look, I just want to learn a little bit more about you. And then I'm going to present maybe an option that could work. You don't say it will. And I think that actually adds a really nice amount of trust and you're doing a sale. Yeah. You're like, hey, I just want to hear about it. And if I can help, I will. If not, it's okay. I'm going to not do it. And people then trust you a little bit more, especially if it's a new relationship. With haircut for men, do you, do you have one or two crazy hair stories? <laughs> I want to know there's some like bald ass stories, like people like me. I, the thing is, I love being bald, but I'm sure you have like, there's this guy. Okay, here's what I've learned about hair club for men. I mean, one of the biggest lessons I took away is that marketing. If you guys know, if you're old enough, you might remember the commercial where it's like, I'm not just a customer, I'm also a client. And their whole thing is like, come in and get your free hair, free hair, free hair consultation. So the idea was just to get people to come in. So free hair consultations. That was like the lead. That was the lead into their business. And I mean, the commercials were from the 90s, even though it was 2009, 2010, 2011. The commercials were still from the 90s and they would update the commercials. They do new commercials, but they wouldn't convert the same way the older commercials would convert. And I was like, this is so misleading. This isn't right. And I had an expectation to close 50% of people that walked through the door. 50% wow. of everybody that came in had to be closed. And they were they all thought everything that they were going to get was free. I mean, they would even be on the marketing calls where we'd hear them call in. And they'd say, are you sure it's free? Like, I don't even have to bring my wallet. And they're like, yep, you don't even have to bring your wallet. And then there I am, the salesperson sitting there, 50%. And I remember I was like complaining to my sales manager. I was like, this is such BS. This is such BS. And she's like, look, here's the deal. It's marketing's job to get people in the seat. It's your job to convert them to the salon chair. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. And so now when people come at me with like, oh, the leads are bad or this or that or whatever, I was just like, no, the leads, you're bad. <laughs> that, that whole yeah, thing. Get them in the chair. Get them in the chair. Like your responsibility is not is not that. Your responsibility is to find out if they're going to be a good customer and move them forward. Did you ever follow up with anyone that, that bought the service and how their hair or life was? You know, I was with it for so long. I was a part of the company for so long. And so a few of the people I was friends with, a few of the people that I recommended to go were my friends. And yeah, it, still to this day, it's amazing. 
It just depends what you do, though, too. There, there's a few different solutions. You could do surgery. You can do a non-surgical solution where you just have to keep yeah. coming back. Like It's funny. Every time we put out a show like this, I always get a few messages. It's like, Noah, I will hook you up. Come to Turkey. I'll give you it for free. You just have to mention our clinic. I'm much better looking bald. I never liked my hair. You know what I miss, though? I miss being in the pool or in the shower and just being like, yeah, you like feel like, your hair. It like flows like you're in swimming and stuff. But besides that, I, I, there's not much. What would that feel like? It felt, I don't know if I would say masculine. I don't think it was masculine. It felt free. I felt really free where I remember having hair and I used to straighten my hair. No way. So use like, you had beautiful curls. I had a lot of curly hair. And so I'd use relaxer, mm. which was generally for, it was more for black people. So I'd go to black barbers and they would straighten it with a lot of these chemicals. And I just liked it that way. But I always felt self-conscious. I didn't, I didn't care for the hair. But I enjoyed like, you know, you go this in the pool and you're just like, oh man, that feels, feels smooth. I felt smooth. But then when I bald, I was very self-conscious pretty quickly. I remember feeling so self-conscious even though I had a girlfriend and I cried the day I shaved it all off and I went to her and she's like, you look fine. And I was like, oh, okay. But it still took maybe another year to feel comfortable. Yeah. In the environment, we would go deeper into that conversation that and stuff, story. but into that story and, 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 but just in reality, right? Because here's the thing. It's not about me. It's about the person and what's truly going to make them happy. It's like any kind of cosmetic procedure, whether you get breasts or you get Botox or, or whatever you do, there are a million ways a doctor can make you look, but it's what's important to you. It's also interesting. Like I have pointy ears and I've always been like, oh, I'm going to get those ears fixed. And I had a friend in school that got his ears fixed. Really? Yeah. And no one ever notices it but me. And it's one of these things now at, in 40, I'm like, I just like myself more. I'm like, that's your unique thing. I think that's also like with age, you get wisdom and you are just so grateful for your, yeah. you're so grateful for I unique ears. I have yeah. to pay for these now. You know? I know. I know. There are things like I look back on myself. I look back on photos and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I used to hate that about myself. Or I can't believe I used to like pick that apart because that makes me unique. Here's a great example. We did this like doppelganger thing at a company I was working for. And this was about 10 years ago. They did my face with Celine Dion. And I remember at the time, I was mortified. I was like, oh, really? yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I, like, I think it's a, a total compliment. She's so graceful and classy and chic. But if you remember 10 years ago, that's like when Adriana Lima and Alessandro Ambrosia and like all of these like sexy <laughs> Victoria's Secret models, like Latin American women, just like stunning, exotic, gorgeous, not Celine Dion. Mm. And I was like, oh, man, like. So it's weird. It's it's weird the things that we nitpick about. And then upon reflection with a little bit more wisdom and understanding, you realize you were just wasted so much negative energy in a space you yeah. shouldn't have been in. Yeah, it takes some time. So you sold a lot of that. Did you move from that to own local? Yeah. Walk me through. Do super high level because I do want to get to Howdy. But I think for a lot of the audience, it's really fascinating career journeys, right? So from like you're, you did economics, but you went to, why did you do a sales job? It was the only job that hired me. Okay. And because I, I do think sales or marketing, being able to sell anything is one of these like foundational skills to use in any career. That's what I've noticed. Sounds like it's worked really well for you. You go there to, to own local or did you go after that? Yeah. So I went there to own local. So I was, at the time I was in Austin, so this is 2015, and I was very frustrated with my career where I was at. I had a lot of friends that, you know, went to university with me. They're killing it in the investment banking game at this point. How much are they making? I mean, at the time, like one of them was making half a million dollars a year. How much were you making? I mean, I was making good money. I was making close to 200000 a year. I mean, it was... I mean, that's pretty... And you were what, like 28? It was 25 to 27. It was good money, but it didn't feel intellectually challenging enough. It wasn't hard anymore. It was just easy. I wasn't inspired. I wasn't 
necessarily excited by the people I was surrounding myself with. Not that they weren't amazing people, but it just felt like I was not in the right place for me. And I'm in Austin. There's this emerging tech scene happening. My mom's a computer engineer. Obviously, I grew up with an affinity and knowledge for technology. And I said, I was like, well, maybe everything happens for a reason. And maybe I'm supposed to use the sales acumen that I've gained that's not wasted over the last six years because I had a negative stereotype and stigma against sales, even when I was doing it. And the only reason that I stayed with it is because I was making good money. And I was like, you know what, whatever, let's just like transfer this over into doing sales for tech companies. However, it wasn't like the job presented itself. I started to study to get my GMAT to go back to grad school to get my MBA because I thought that the only way I could get someone to take me seriously from Hair Club for Men was if I had some like educational weight behind it. So I took my GMAT and I was applying for grad school and I got this opportunity with Own Local and I was their VP of sales or I applied to be their VP of sales through Landon. Landon was my former boss at Hair Club. Yeah. And he he went to Own Local. And he went to Own Local, but he had a bunch of other experience. So him transferring over there was very, was very easy for him. But he vouched for me and uh, I got the job. Did you have any discrimination because of female in sales at at Own Local or at Hair Club for Men? Not at Hair Club. Sexual harassment, yeah, for sure. I think guys are naive to that. And just to be clear, it's not that I think men or women necessarily are better or worse. We have at AppSumo, a lot of our great salespeople are female. I guess when I grew up, it's not something I, I saw women being like encouraged to do. And right. I love seeing it. I'm like, wow, let's have more of that. But I, I guess there's definitely some dark sides to that. You know, I have a very tough mom and she was very tough on me in a good way where she very much grilled in my head. The world's not fair. Everything's going to be harder for you. Men are going to make passes at you. It is what it is. So I had that ingrained from an early age. And so when men were being inappropriate or it was not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but I always tried to just keep myself out. So if it was a consultation, it was going south or it was going awkward or I would ask for someone to come in and help me and I would tell them. Or if I was like out to dinner with a colleague and he was being inappropriate, I would excuse myself and have to go home early. So it's not ideal. It's definitely not ideal. Do you have any crazy stories around that kind of stuff that you're like, I cannot believe someone did that? I try and forget about the bad ones. But, you know, there was tons of inappropriate interpersonal relationships. There was talks about what people were doing in offices. And I mean, it's just it's wild what people are willing to do during work hours. But no, I mean, I had a I had a regional manager that was having sex with one of his stylists and they would like get caught and it was so inappropriate but he would never get in trouble and then i had another client that was in love with one of our stylists and she was you know trying to be super professional but she refused to go out on dates with her and so she excused herself from the room came back he had peed in her purse i mean yeah just i thought for serene the person was going to get a lot of hair like he just had so much hair (laughs) sliding out (laughs) just more and more like just give me more hair so i can well yeah the non-surgical side of things is really where they add hair almost think of it like extensions for girls but for guys oh, and cool. so you have to keep coming back for maintenance and so one thing here and then we're going to jump into the howdy story what are you doing to be the top in these different companies because i think there's something that everyone can learn whether they're running a business or they're an employee in a company because it sounds like a hair club men you raised up super fast on local you raised up to pretty much almost run the company what are you doing i have no distractions i have to think of one goal i can't do many things i can do one thing really really well And so I have to know what is that one thing I should be doing really, really well. And that's the only thing I focus on. It's really hard. But when I was starting Howdy, when I was doing this at Own Local, when I was at Hair Club, I turned off podcasts. I turned off listening to books. I turned off social media because I get FOMO so bad. 
And so if I see other people doing things that I perceive as being amazing, it actually inhibits me. It doesn't inspire me because I'm like, oh, all these people are so wonderful. Like, what am I going to do? And so if I just turn it off and if I just have this goal. So with Own Local, it was signing up newspapers. With Hair Club, it was converting accounts. With with Howdy, it was placing developers. And so if I just give myself a super simple number, and that is the year-end number I have to hit every single year. That's the only thing I focus on. It ends up working out. I mean, there's that book, One Thing. I didn't even realize that was the whole the whole thesis of the book. The book right? I, that's the whole book. The whole book is you got to focus on one thing. And I was just naturally doing it. I also have ADD too. So if I allow myself to have distractions, then I'm just a total mess. And so I have to only focus on one thing. What is it you noticed of other people around you that weren't succeeding? What were they doing differently? They overcomplicate everything. So we acquired a company this last year and amazing company, very, very smart, very smart founders. They are from Brazil, got Fulbright scholarships, studied at UCLA. Can't speak highly enough about them. And also I've spoken to competitors of ours, frenemies, so to speak. And every time I talk to very smart people, their business models, their ideas, their Mm. strategies, everything they're doing is so complicated and it's messy and it's confusing. And I'll even say, because we're we're trying to launch a new business for the company we acquired, and they put together this business model, and they put together this like ROI on a per employee basis. And I was like, let's just make this like the simplest thing we can possibly make it. You've got 10 employees. How many of these employees are making money for the company? Okay, these three employees are making money for the company. Okay, how much money do you plan on them making for the company? And does that cover the other seven? That's all I want to know. It sounds so simple and so basic. That's really interesting. And same thing with most businesses. There, If you can't explain it to a five-year-old, if the business model is not super, super duper simple, how are you going to explain it to your entire company? How are you going to explain it to all your employees? How are you going to explain it to your customers and your prospects? And Yeah. A lot of the more businesses we've tried that have been complicated, I'm sure it could work, but it's like absolutely still is get a deal, send an email, that's it. Like get a deal, send an email, that's it. And We've tried these other businesses where it's like you get a thing, but you have to post it. And then two people have to do this magical thing at the same time. That was reward level. No one did it. I'm like, ah, yeah, that's interesting. So you're noticing a lot of smart people are trying to be too smart. So here's an example with Howdy, right? So our whole goal, placing developers. This was the beginning of the company, placing developers at U.S. teams. And so we were like, okay, we have one developer. Our goal is to end with 30. We have 30. We're going to end with 90. Well, there's all these other hard problems to solve just from getting from 1 to 30 and 30 to 90. And a lot of it is recruiting, sourcing, retention, happiness, their own personal growth, their own professional growth. There's so many problems. It's not to say that it's not complicated, but if you know your goal is super simple and your business model is super simple, well, what are the things we can do to invest in retention, invest in sourcing, invest in recruiting, invest in offices, invest in events, invest in swag? So that's where we get to make fun decisions and it ends up being more complicated and we have actually a complicated business. But it's not complicated when I explain it. It's not complicated when I show the investors the business model. Is the main goal for Howdy, and we'll, we'll get into that now, around just getting the amount of placements? Is that the, What's the one goal for the year? It's 300. So we are at 185 right now. So the goal is to end at 300. And um, the simple math is this. We are, on average, so this is developer, non-developer costs are different. But for developers, on average, the total on cost is around 100 to 110,000 per year of which 60% goes directly to the developer, 20% goes to supporting the developer in all the things that they need, and then 20% comes back to Howdy. 
and that's it. And so if you do the math and you extrapolate that out, we're a billion dollar business at 3,000 developers. What? Yeah. Hold on, I'm doing the math. 3,000 developers times 100,000. 110,000. Okay, 110. It's 330 million. Yeah, exactly. Oh, for valuation. Value, 3x multiple. It's not 3, even- 3,000 customers and you're that successful? Not even 3,000 customers, 3,000 3, developers. developers. That's always really interesting. You know, you hear these companies like, I buy pinball machines. Mm -hmm. uh, they're about 10,000 each. And it's like, you don't need to sell that many of them to make a, like a million. To make a million was a hundred? See, it's not that much. Let's come back on how do you, how did you identify that as an opportunity? And how did you get your very first customer? So own local, did own local for two years. And then I got, not poached, but a good friend of mine was starting his own company. And I he asked me to be on the ground floor. I was like, okay, I've never done this before. I did the big company. I did the small startup. Never did took anything from zero to one. It was very interesting. That was Shipwell. So I did that for 14 months, got them to about $6 million in revenue. That's when I left to start Howdy. And part of the reason I left was it was so frustrating because we needed to raise a series seed, a $2 million series seed, and we couldn't hire anybody. The, the founders, of course, developed the stuff, the MVP. We raised the seed round, and then the CEO came to me and was like, we need to get to this ARR, $6 million ARR, in nine months for us to raise a Series A. If we don't, we're going to run out of cash. But then at that point, we can hire developers. And right now we have two million, so we'll hire a couple developers. But at that point is when we can really yeah. hire developers. And it was after I killed myself, got us to the Series A, and then it was still seemingly impossible to hire the talent that we needed at the rates that we wanted. And I was frustrated with that. And it felt like there was an imbalance. It felt like this team over here, the sales team, the ops team, the marketing team, the founders were killing themselves. And at the time, maybe it's not this anymore. You see where it's going? Well, it's so hard to find these developers. That's the opportunity. So I think for everyone out there, what's the problems that you're having maybe in your own house or in your businesses? Exactly. And those are actually opportunities for business itself. Exactly. And so I was just like, this is a dumb problem to have. This is a dumb problem to have. And Della was a, a solution at the time in Africa. We hired a couple African developers. They were amazing, but the time zones were frustrating. We hired developers in, I've worked with developers in Russia, I worked with developers in Ukraine, I worked everywhere overseas, but the time zone. And if you are a 24-7 company, it works. But if you're not, if you're a startup and you need to have async communication, you got to be on the same time zone yeah. or you got to make them work on off hours. And that's just not an sucks. ideal life. It yeah. sucks. So I was looking for a solution in Latin America. There wasn't really any that served tech companies in the way that I wanted it. And I was like, screw it, let's just do it myself. I bootstrapped the business. I started it as an LLC because I wasn't planning on being a billion dollar company. It was, I designed the business model to be profitable from the first developer. What was the first developer in the first place? And the first developer was a guy named Wandy. He's still with the company. And uh, we hired him December 9th, 2018. And he was placed at OwnMobile. How much did you charge? How much did you take? At the time, the, it was just a flat. I didn't, I had no markup. Because like you charge the finders fee or No, no, I didn't do any of that. I, so I started a company in Uruguay. I hired them as an employee in Uruguay. And then the idea was always to be, I'm a salesperson. I don't want to keep selling over and over and over. I just want to make one sale and then make money over and over and over from that one Ooh, sale. That's spicy. And so basically it's a recurring business of sorts because every yes. month you are getting a cut of it? Yes. So every month you're getting 20%. Every month. Every month, 20% of the total fee. It's gone down. It changes. Developers. Different than other world. But if yeah. he's making 10K a month, give or take, you guys get 2000 a month. Basically. Times 185 people, give or take. Yeah. That's so interesting. So that's, that's the simplified version of it. It's closer to 1000 But it is interesting. Just for the people out there taking a step back on this stuff, it's 
identifying a problem you have, noticing the skills you're already good at, which is sounds like sales, and then solving that for yourself. How did you find Wandy? Well, so I'm good at sales, but I'm better at people. And I wanted to create this community. This was kind of my original vision. I wanted to create this community for software developers in Latin America that was akin to entrepreneurs that go through Y Combinator here in the United States. So it's this idea that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you go through Y Combinator. It's a great accelerator. It's that social proof, that seal of approval. And then investors flock to you. And so I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to be that seal of approval, that social proof for developers in Latam that if they went through the Howdy ecosystem, that all companies are like, no, I only hire Howdy developers. I'm not going to hire outside of Howdy because I just know the quality that I'm going to get. And yeah, investors pay a premium on YC companies, but more often than not, it works out for them. Well, not more often than not, but they have a higher percentage of success than any other accelerator incubator out there. One of the, the key points that I think is so essential is that you got started, right? Yes. So you're not, I'm going to do more research, put together a business plan and, and all these things. How long did it take from idea to first customer? I incorporated the business in September and first customer was December, October, November, December, three months. I think one of the key things I was highlighting is you got started and you're like, I'm going to do a white combinator. How did you understand that? Okay, maybe not that, but maybe if I just do placements, that's the business. Because the same with AppSumo. We started as bundles and then we went to individuals. It didn't start with the YC idea initially. It was marinating. So many things are marinating in your head. And then you see the response. By getting going. By just getting going. And so how did I get started? Really, it's I'm having this pain point. Do you have this pain point? Do you have this pain point? Do you have this pain point? Do you feedback? And it was more just going out there and asking people, hey, are you seeing this too? Are you experiencing this too? This is how I met Frank, my co-founder. He was having the same problem and he was so frustrated with it. In fact, I, I don't know if you know this, but Frank was not my first co-founder. I had someone else. I ended up separating. But um, I tried to make Frank my first co-founder, but he was at Disco. They were about to go public. It was a very exciting time for him. He's like, I can't leave, but like maybe in a year I can. Wow, okay. So I went with this other guy and it ended up not working out. But I had this idea marinating and there was a lot of different ideas. And it was just more going and asking who's experiencing what. And then me saying, I'm going to do this. Would you like to trial it with me? I'm not going to charge you anything more than what I'm... I love that approach. I, th I think one thing I'm noticing from people starting businesses instead of a sale, which sales sounds so ominous and so intimidating, just for feedback. Like, hey, I'm working on this idea. It sounds like that's what one, the way your approach is. And I'll even do it for free or I'll do it refundable or as a deposit. I just have to cover my cost. I can't float this for you. But what I'm hoping is that it works. And what I'm hoping is that you're happy. And then if it does work out, my hope is that you hire more. That's so true. Even Jay Yang does my Twitter. He put together a presentation. He's like, I'm going to do your social media. Let me just show you. And then let me do it for a little bit. And now I'm paying him. And now I keep paying more and more and more. Because it was very clear that it was super valuable. Yes. And that's the thing. That's So yes, we are adding money. But so much of what we're doing in the background is we have these engineering mentors that work one-on-one -on -one with the developer and they work one-on-one -on -one with the partner. And they make these guys look like rock stars to these teammates. And it's funny because people have left us and then they come back and people will say, oh, well, can I buy the developer out of the contract? And we're like, yeah, of course. No problem. Go for it. And some have done it. And then they come back. And it's just because we have to do so much in the background to validate why we continue to charge money. Yeah, because otherwise it's like I already found a person. But that's the easy thing to me. What's hard is getting the sale. It's so much harder. How much is it a domain? <laughs> Guess. It's so funny, by the way, because I was looking up domains yesterday. We, I just pre-sold an idea and we're now going to build it out. And domains are like more expensive than I expected. How much should I pay for howdy.com? At least a quarter million. Yeah, more. A million? It was 400000 
pretty good. That's a super unique name. And you guys have really good branding. Thank you. What have you noticed about the working styles between South Americans and Americans? It feels like I'm working in the early 2000s again. They are so inspired and excited and engaged. So just for clarification, people don't understand. You go and find amazing developers in Latin America. They work for your company, yes. technically, but then you help place them in American tech companies or businesses. So the way that I describe it is we're akin to a sports agent. Okay. So we're, you find the awesome talent, you bring it to the teams. We bring it to the teams. We right. negotiate their contracts, their benefits, all that stuff. And then we're there helping them and supporting them throughout their career. All right. So tell me more about these differences. Because I think there's the reason I'm also calling that is one thing I've been noticing with AppSumo, and I was talking about it earlier with a friend of mine, is just how immigrants are so awesome. So their effort is high and their attitude is high. And it's totally universal. Anyone can do that, but immigrants specifically. So what are you, you're seeing that so, attitudes are- So here's the interesting thing. Here's what I'm seeing. They're not immigrants. They're staying in their countries. Ooh. But here's where it is. It's they recognize the opportunities that we have in the United States far exceed the opportunities that they have. So they're basically getting to go to America without having to leave home. They're getting to go to America so the American dream, what is the American dream when we really think about it? Is it uprooting your whole life and coming here? Maybe, maybe for some people, because maybe they don't have freedoms or maybe they're being oppressed. That's terrible, right? But in other countries where there is more freedom of culture and, and freedom to do things, but there's not opportunities because their economy is terrible, then what is the American dream for them? It's access to the American opportunities. And so they're getting that and they're getting to stay home next to their communities, next to their families, making way more than all of their friends. It's incredible. And they're excited and they're inspired. And also, we're doing cool shit here. American tech companies are always doing cool shit. And so they're getting access to be at the forefront of really awesome things without having to have gone to Stanford. They're excited. They're inspired. They are energetic. And the number one feedback we get from most of our partners is just like, it's so fun to work again. And I think it's just because, you know, we're all a bit jaded or we're all a bit like, ah. Uh, this tech bro culture is bad. And it's like, it's not, yes, it probably, but like if we just show up happy and positive, we can change it. I think the American tech culture, in my observation, is very entitled. Yes, it's very entitled. I looked at our benefits. We have a benefit where if you're a new parent, you get $1,000 to spend anything for the child for yourself. So like daycare or baby care. That's incredible. And I was like, that's awesome. And people are like, you know, where's the problem? I was like, really? And it's become more just the baseline of expectations. Yes, yes. And I, I do think, specifically at I think we have an amazing culture and I love all the people there. So I don't feel like I would speak about us, but I definitely see that in people who are hiring. Yeah. Like, well, what's the options? Well, how many hours do I have to work? Oh, let's talk about options, okay? <laughs> let's, the best thing I ever did was I started the business as an LLC. And the reason why is because I wanted to get back to the basics. I'm starting a business with my money for this business. It's not your business, it's my business, but I'm going to pay you well. But you move over into a C-Corp and everyone feels entitled to own part of your company. Yeah. And it's like, wait, do you want to be paid more than market share and have like options in my company or have shares in my company? I don't know. It's backwards. <laughs> wow, you got triggered there. I totally got triggered. I also yeah. think it's a scam that founders do, too. They're like, oh, I'm going to pay you all these options or your salary, your compensation package is yeah. $500,000. But really, your take home pay is like $2,000 a month. And it's like bogus options that never get converted. So I'm, I'm triggered on both sides. The employees of having hundreds of thousands of options that turn into shares that are still zero dollars. Yeah. And also from this other side where it's like you expect this premium salary, these premium benefits, premium everything, and you still want shares and options and ownership of the company. Like, where's the sacrifice? I am curious now in terms of um, 
inflection points of the, the business growth, but you guys have 185 placements currently. You're making on average 1500 a person. You said 1000 but I'm just going to put it 1500 That means you guys are bringing home like $300,000 a month revenue. doesn't mean profit. Yeah, more, but yeah. And then how come you're only paying yourself 200000 I don't know, because I'm stupid. <laughs> no, 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 you're not stupid. I think <laughs> this is a common... I mean, I just got my first raise in a decade. I was at 175 and now I'm at 250 You know, my boss, he's such a... He's real tough on me, you know, but... I've noticed that founders want to invest money in the business. They want to pay the team more. And then and even your husband, me and him talked about this years ago about not investing in ourselves and taking care of some of our basics. So for me, one of the things I did, because my co-founder comes from an immigrant family, I come from an immigrant family. We both think the same way about money. And so what we did is we tailored our salaries together. So if he gets a raise, I get a raise. If I get a raise, he gets a raise. And if I think he deserves a raise and vice versa, like he thinks... like chicken. Yeah. So it's like, but we're both very conservative as well. The other rule we have is no one at the company can make more than us. Not in a bad way. It's just more to help us, right? So like, for example, we had a head of finance come in and he's like, I want to make 200000 We weren't making 200000 at the time. It's like, well, if you're going to make 200000 we should be making 200000 And so at the time, I think we were making one seventy-five or one fifty or one seventy-five. And so we just looked at the budget. We looked at the numbers and we're like, can the business support it? And we said, yeah. And so we gave ourselves a raise. For people out there, you know, if you have a day job, it's one thing, which uh, is an experience. But if you're running your own business, I've noticed that people don't pay themselves first. No. And that's good if you can reinvest the money so next year you can pay yourself and then reinvest the money so the future. But eventually, if you're not going public, you're not selling, you do need to have something off the table to have something to show for, frankly, and, and be able to enjoy the work that you, you put in. Yeah. So it's a struggle, right? Because in the beginning, we didn't take any salary until my first paycheck was May 2020. And the only reason I remember this was the same time I gave birth to my son. It's <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> You paid yourself on like the table, yeah. on the birthing table? No, yeah, I was like, all right, I can't afford this baby. $1,500. I think my first salary was 18000 a year. No joke. Nice. And we were making, I mean, we were doing, you know, over a million dollars in revenue at the time. It's either pay me or hire someone and pay someone else. But it took me managing people very seriously because I looked at how much I was paying them and how much I wasn't paying myself. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you're here to do this job. And if you can't do this job, why am I paying you? Why not just give myself that money if I'm going to do your job for you? You've got a customer base, meaning the companies who have money. Yes. And so I think that's kind of an understated thing that if you're starting a business, there's a lot of different types of who your customer can be. And so if you go to a customer that's a millionaire, multimillionaire, or they have millions of dollars, it's a lot potentially easier to sell them a $10,000 product, or you can try to sell a million people a $1 product. So I think there's some something interesting on the business approach there. I'm curious... How come you guys did the funding route? I know you should probably answer that. Do you have like a short answer around that? Because like you guys have this business where you're profitable. Every every customer is profitable. Two reasons. We did the seed round. I think because it was a novelty for me, the first one. We went through Y Combinator. We got into YC. And at the end of it, we said to ourselves, like, do we want to keep this a lifestyle business and just eventually make a lot of money? Or do we want to go for the, the grand slam, go for the billion dollar company? When we got into YC, we made the decision to go for the grand slam. And we always raised on very, very good terms. And um, we realized with a little bit more capital, we could just explore and experiment with things that we wouldn't do being very, very cash conscious. So we did the $2 million and we were growing so fast that we didn't even touch it. We raised the A because tech was imploding in 2022 and layoffs were coming at us left and right. In one week, we lost half our revenue and we were able to get it back in six weeks after that. That's what allowed us to raise the, the Series A. But at the time, it was just nice to think, you know what, if we could build up this war chest, we could put a lot of money in reserves. We could put money into sales and marketing in a way we've never done before. 
and we could build some pretty cool product that we had all these dreams of that maybe were going to happen five years from now. It was just buying us time, really, is all it was. Time and safety. What have been some of the inflection points in the growth of Howie, good or bad? Yeah, so starting, obviously, was one. That was a big risk on my part. I had saved 150000 just my whole life. And I knew I wanted to do a business. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this business. Am I willing to bet it all on this thing? And the answer had to be yes or no. And so I was like, all right, yes. So I moved the money over. I was like, this is Howdy's money. At the time, it's called Austin Software. I was like, it's Austin Software's money. It's no longer my money. That's the money for the business. And so I think you need to give yourself an absolute, like, it's all or nothing. Because if you have any kind of safety, at least for me, maybe, if you have any kind of safety, it's easy to back out when it gets hard. So that was the first. The second was in 2020 when COVID hit. Our business was just taking off. I mean, taking off. It was like still like so tiny in comparison, but it was just taking off. We had all of these orders for all of these roles, all these positions. COVID hit and everybody went on a hiring freeze because no one knew if you remember, right? Everyone went on a hiring freeze. No one knew what was going to happen. They thought the economy was going to crash. And I mean, gosh, that was very, very scary, especially because I was about to give birth like two months later. (laughs) I go, I have my baby. And um, no joke, as I'm on maternity leave, every single customer that we had ever talked to, for the most part, every prospect came back with like a vengeance in a good way because they realized, hey, I'm working remote anyways. Everybody's on a computer anyways. Why do I have to pay premium prices for people that aren't even showing up to meetings? So they gave us the opportunity to fill all their open roles. And that's when we really took off. And then we got into YC. That was the next inflection point. Because I think on one side, especially for tech companies, if you look at our company, it's like, oh, you're just another blah company, whatever they say. You're a staffing company, you're an outsourced company, or you're this company. But we got into YC, and that was the social proof we needed for tech companies to take us seriously. And that's the reason why we did it. We were already doing three and a half million in revenue. None of the other companies were doing that kind of revenue when they got into YC with us in our batch. We were doing an incredible amount of revenue by the time we got into Y Combinator. But what it did for us is every series B, C, whatever company and above now was like, oh, hey, I'm not going to get in trouble because that's a YC company. That's interesting. And then any recent one? Definitely doing the series A and part of the funds we bought Howdy.com with. So being Howdy, it's a way better brand than Austin Software. Very strong. It was very, very strong. And the final thing I was curious about How do you balance being a mom and running a business? You know, being a mom has been the best thing for me for running a business and being an entrepreneur. And I say this because I used to abuse myself. I used to work all hours of the night where I would go on last minute trips down to Latin America or I would do things for the business because I had no excuses. What else was I doing? Then when I became a mom, I had very strict schedules because we love her, our nanny, Katie. She comes and helps us. But when Katie's there, I can work. When Katie's not there, I can't work. It's just 100% mom time. And so I had very limited hours every single day to be able to work on the business. And so every single minute counted, every single meeting counted, every single conversation counted, because if I wasn't doing it, then it wasn't getting done. And so it allowed me to be super efficient and also say no to bullshit, because there's so much bullshit that comes up and there's so much time you waste. I look at all my meetings now, they're so efficient. And they didn't used to be like that, because I didn't value my time the same way I do now. So if anything, it's made me a way better entrepreneur and more successful. But it's also probably why we haven't hung out that much because like we just don't have any time. <laughs> it's yeah, it's an interesting thing getting older, you know, and, and separate of men because they're also fathers, right? And I think fathers are making that same decision where I want to be present for my, my wife and for my kids. Yeah. Or for my husband and my kids. And this is like my girlfriend, you know, she's like, you need to be finishing six. 
Yes. But I'd be just dicking around. Yeah. You know, and it's been good to have a partner like that who was asking, expecting me to show up. And now it's prioritizing. Okay, if I can only finish here, I've got to do better. Than yes. Day. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, a kid extrapolates that times 10 <laughs> because yeah. it's not it's not just your husband that wants it, your girlfriend who wants it. It's like, oh, no, this thing is going to die without you. So <laughs> and I think the beautiful thing about our generation is the fathers are showing up in way more meaningful ways mm. than ever before. So it's important for dads themselves, too, to be there for their kids. Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of them had experiences where maybe they wanted their dad more in their life and they didn't have as much access. So they want to be that thing that they weren't. And then for this year, finishing with Howdy.com, the uh, final stuff, you want to go from 185 to 300. What's the marketing growth or marketing or growth or sales plan at a super high level to maybe give other people inspiration or thoughts about how they can do that in their, in their business. We are going on a completely different strategy this year. Ooh. We spent close to a million dollars in digital marketing last year. We were cutting it down to almost zero. We also did a couple hundred thousand on conferences, cutting that also down to zero. The most meaningful things have been intimate connections with people. It's one and then also another, but it's we have this house that we rented for Howdy. That is our office that we're converting into this like very cool office space, but also this idea of it being a founder house where we can invite founders over and have just, you know, nice little speakeasy events, nice yeah. little meetups. And what we realized is if we can get back to our local community in the same way we do for a developer community, they also give us an opportunity as well. And so that works. I mean, gosh, we were spending so much money on Google and Meta and and it wasn't converting. Like, who's going to go and hire someone from an Instagram ad? I think what people don't understand is that they're like, oh, I got to do it. It's like, no, what works? And I think what's interesting about what works is I reconnected with you and Frank. I think it was 12 months ago, give or take, because you invited me or Lloyd invited me, uh, your husband, to a concert, to yeah. a great concert. Yeah. And that led to actually us being here because you you spent like how much? So they bought a booth. At a Drake concert. Like, how much did that cost? That night, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but we we bought, we also are getting a booth for Madonna, and that's 4000 plus drinks then. That's it? That's it. You you start backing it out from literally the ROI perspective, 4000 for a booth plus drinks, let's say 6000 Well, it's 4000 because we're a member. So we pay about 200000 a year for a member to this other thing. But it does. Do we have the privilege to then, I always find I, that kind I know. Of, I, but from the economic perspective, it sounds maybe, okay, you can spend a million there or for 6000 for Madonna. Like if you get one person, that patient's back in three months. Easy. It's a no-brainer. Huh. I like that approach. It's okay, so cool. Yeah, you should. I'll see you at the concert. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it's concerts. It's concerts. It's doing these events. It's meeting up with people. It's. I think that the world is so connected on social and is so connected with YouTube that we're missing actual real human connections in a way that we're double downing on that this year. Can you take us on a private jet if we hire enough people? So you want to know what we're going to do? Oh, my God. I'm Howdy.com. I'm okay. sponsored by them. I love them. <laughs> Sign up for them. Let them know what Noah sent you. Get good developers and get a people for your team. I mean, you got this private jet, man. We want to do a tour of LATAM. We have a couple of our Howdy offices, Buenos Aires, Montevideo. We have great connections with a lot of the local politicians. So we want to do an exec tour where we fly like 10 or 20 or some odd number of founders, executives down to... Buenos Aires or to one of them. And yeah, we're looking at private jets. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be in the budget this year, but definitely that is that's the goal. So either it's either going to be like a first class ticket. I mean, what what would you accept? Now? I'll go to the Madonna concert. No, okay, <laughs> You're invited. All right, everyone. Check out howdy.com. Super impressive uh, to see your story and then uh, see where you guys are going. Really, really excited. Thanks, Noah. Appreciate it. That is a wrap. I hope you love them as much as we did making it for you. 
Check out my new book, Million Dollar Weekend. You can go to milliondollarweekend.com. There's a bunch of bonuses if you get the book from there. As well, check out Jacqueline's company, howdy.com. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go drink some water together. And before you go, tweet at me or slide in my DMs at Noah Kagan. I love hearing from you. Also, thank you, gusto.com slash Noah. If you are looking for payroll help, again, go give them some love. I really appreciate them sponsoring the show. I definitely recommend them as a product, especially if you need payroll, HR, 1099. Stuff just sucks in general, but thank God there's gusto.com slash Noah to get you hooked up. Go give them some love if that's something you're interested in or you want to change. I know that perhaps someone are common like, yes, let's please use Gusto. Finally, a couple of shout outs to the amazing team that makes all this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts sound so good. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, Sylvie, Jay from the Dork Team for All the Magic. Y'all do have a tremendous day. What's your favorite flower? What is mine? I don't even know. Sunflower? Yeah, sunflower.